Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Are you recording? G'day, you are tuning into episode 24 of the Howie Games Artist Series Part A. And thanks, by the way, for doing that. And thanks to all the superstars out there who spread the word about the podcast with their crew. We really appreciate it. Helps the show continue, helps the show grow. Anyway, this week we are featuring a man that we have welcomed into our lives on countless mornings over the last 20 years, David Kosh. We're in the heart of Sydney in Martin Place and behind these windows here is the new Sunrise Studio and also out here as well. We're going to spend a lot of time out in the plaza here each day catching up with you guys and also... David Kosh. Koshy, Koshy, everyone knows him as Koshy. Koshy, from 2002 to this year, when he walked away on top, as Sunrise had been for over 20 years with Koshy front and centre, David has been a reliable, calm, informing, entertaining presence in our lives. The bloke you'd have a beer with. The mate you talk footy with. Your dad giving you financial advice. Your uncle with the old dodgy joke. A fella to be relied upon. Also, a bloke who loves footy, hence being president of Port Adelaide Football Club in the AFL. This is a wise man, a good man, who rolled into the studio with a strong handshake, an easy laugh and a spring in his step. Enjoy the story of David Kosh. Winner. Welcome to the Howie Games, one of the most recognisable faces in Australia, a man with a story to tell. It is the Artist <laughs> Series, so he's got footy, he's got creativity. His name is David Kosh. We've been looking forward to doing this for a while. Koshy, everyone calls you Koshy, so I'm going with Koshy. How are you? Yeah, fair enough, Howie. That is one of the better nicknames that I have, um, particularly after Port Adelaide lose a game. I get called all sorts of things. So I'm very happy with Koshy. <laughs> Do punters pull you up in the crowd after when you're wandering oh. out of Adelaide, out of the Oval? Oh. Do people pull you up and say, hey? Yep. What, what type uh, of stuff do they go with? And they are they are not backward in coming forward. In, right. Uh, letting me know their anger, uh, team selections. The whole, <laughs> Pe- Peggy O'Neill, yes. uh, ex uh, Richmond, Richmond president. president. Yep. First time I ever met her, uh, she said, Koshy, congratulations on being president of Port Adelaide. One bit of advice, when the team's winning, it's the players and coach. When it's <laughs> losing, it's the president. <laughs> and I went, what do you mean? And she goes, you just have to accept it. That's the way it is. I thought, oh, yeah, that can't be right. Well, she was dead right. <laughs> so tell me about the Port Adelaide for you. We'll, we'll go to your story, but yep. why Port Adelaide for you? Uh, my dad used to play for them. Did he? I grew up in Adelaide. Money played in the twos. What was his in, name? Uh, Dean. Dean. Dean Kosh in the uh, that era where in the late 50s, early 60s, where they won uh, six premierships in a row, the record, you know, the likes of um, John Cale, Jeff Motley, the Obbs Brothers era. Huh. Uh, dad was a ruckman, played uh, for Semaphore Centrals in the amateurs, played state amateurs. Uh, and then went and tried his hand at um, at Port Adelaide. We lived in the heart of Port Adelaide at, at Largs North. Did you get to watch him play? Uh, yes. Um, I would um, I would only have been about three or four. Okay. Four, but I have this vague, vague memory of always going to Albert and Oval, sitting in the Foss Williams stand, huh. which is still there now. Yes. Um, as a kid, Jeff Motley's number was on my back, who who sadly died recently. Um, so it is uh, Port Adelaide. Once it's in your blood, it stays there. And then when the AFL approached me to get involved 
about 10 years ago, the end of 2012. The club wasn't in great shape financially. Uh, asked me to come and see what, whether I could turn it around. And my dad had died about three years earlier and I knew he would have wanted me to do it. You know, it's just in your blood as a family. And and that that's the magic of footy. It I'm, is, isn't it? Like, I get grumpy. I get stressed. Um, and then I talk to my kids uh, and grandkids in particular. And just the purity of footy, the way it brings families together, that it's your club for life. You know, that's that's really special. And what so what were your days as a kid or a teenager going to watch Port? Like, what, what was the day? Was there a certain seat? You go with certain people? Oh, Did yeah. you have a hot dog? Like, no, what was no, the day? It's the, um, I reckon I learnt my first swear word um, <laughs> standing with my grandfather outside uh, the rooms uh, listening to a Foss Williams halftime address with my grandfather. Right. Um, and that, and that, that improved my vocabulary no end. <laughs> um, so it was, it was just part of your life. It was, it was almost a rock in your life. It gave you a foundation for life going forward. Um, and, you know, Albert is still the spiritual home mm. of Port Adelaide now, even though we play at Adelaide Oval, we're based at Alberton. We're trying to bring it back to its its glory uh, days of the past, and it just has so so many memories for so many people uh, who grew up following and the. Club. Did you play footy? Um, I did, but Dad got transferred to Sydney oh, when I was a, on, when I was a teenager, and there there was no Aussie rules. There would have been none. No, so I played rugby union. Did you? Uh, played sort of representative junior footy, played in the Sydney um, competition for Ringer as as a huh. second rower um, and line-out jumper. And and then when, you, when you're president, so we're recording this the day before the AFL yep. grand final. Um, I, this is not, to, this is not you know, Kenny Hinckley-style discussions, but but what's it like going, I'm sure you'll be at the grand final, you'll yep. be at the lunch day, you'll be at the grand final tomorrow. Do you, can you sit there and enjoy the day or is it, oh, it could be us? Oh, it's always that. Right, it's that. It could be us. Yeah. That's what you want to do every year. We, uh, as a club, we have this mantra, we, we never rebuild. Um, I think rebuild is um, a term that's used as an excuse mm. for failure um, and to fail. Uh, we are... We always strive to be competitive every single year in terms of finals to put yourself in the best chance. So the, the final siren goes yep. this season, any season, and you haven't – it's such a black and white game, this. It's oh, there's yeah. one winner and 17 losers. Is the, Unfortunately, yep. the way we approach it in yep. Australia, that's Australia at the moment. There's not – you know, America, you have a successful season if you're, if you're in the positives or it's a winning season, as they call it. So when the final siren goes on on any season and Port hasn't held up the cup, yep. does it sit with you for a minute, a day, an hour? Do you walk out of the ground and kick the wall? Like, how do you deal with it? Because you're so invested. Uh, I always look forward. I don't – I try not to look back. It is – how do we get better? What are what are the things we've got to mm. do to improve? And how do we fix it? How do we think outside the square? Well, it's that attitude, obviously, why you've been very successful at what, what you've done. So, president of the footy club, yeah. uh, 
You don't get paid, obviously, no. to do the job. How, how many hours in in a week, in an average footy season, are, are you spending some time okay. on Port, Port Adelaide issues? Because okay. people don't understand that you don't get paid no, for a start. No, no. We're it's, all, it's for the love. We're, we're all volunteers. Um, I'm one of the few presidents that I've got to fly to every home game. Yeah. So uh, this year, uh, this season, we played Sydney, played the Swans, for the first time since 2018 at the SCG. So I got to drive to the game and drive home again and all my grandkids came. It was just fantastic. (laughs) Um, So if you take out, because that wipes away basically your weekend. So Lib and I sort of see it as a romantic weekend away with 45,000 of our closest friends. Does Lib see it as that as well? That's just how you see it. She's fan, no. (laughs) Um, She's a huge support. We don't, our kids are grown up. If we had kids still living at home, we wouldn't have um, wouldn't have done the job. It's too much. So, taking aside the travel for home games, it'd be uh, 10, 15 hours a week. Um, I talk to Matthew Richardson, our chief executive, every day at least once <laughs> um, about issues that are going on, planning things that come up, him keeping me informed. So, it's a real. But I, I love it. And I'm passionate about it. Obviously. And I want to win a premiership. <laughs> and for all, all that hard work, you get blokes over the fence and tell them what you need to do. Is, so tell you, t- tell me about you, um, because Tommy and I are hoping to get some financial advice in this next hour. And a half. We'll discuss that as, uh, before you rolled in here. Um, as a kid at school, what, what are you into? What's your, what's your first thought? This is what David Kosh is going to do. Oh, um, I, I'd always wanted to be a journo, yep. uh, but thought it would be too hard. My father said, look, just do an accounting. If you want to be in business, do an accounting degree and then see where it goes. And so I was, I was pretty good at maths. Um, I was not very good at science, uh, loved history and English and things like that. So... I went to Forest High School in Sydney, um, a year or two ahead of Kirk Pengilly from oh, NXS. Who has been on this show. Yeah, yeah, Kirk. On the Artist Series. Now, can you Kirk's give me the a, same? Kirk's a, Kirk's a great mate. Well, uh, can he? Can you give the same sort of rock star stories that he gave? Or uh, No. I don't think well, so. Well, I could give you one. Go on. I fronted NXS for one song at a concert. Where? Uh, it was at Darling Harbour. Right. It was during the Rugby World Cup. I'd only been doing uh, Sunrise The Australia for about, Rugby World Cup. Yep. The Johnny Wilkinson World yep. Cup. Right. Yeah, for about two years. Right. And um, they had this competition, Seven had this competition of um, viewers could vote for the president of the uh, World Cup clubhouse, yep. which was at Darling Harbour. And they had uh, a couple of famous Wallabies who were commentators for Seven at the time and they wanted to fill out the, the voting choices and chuck me in. Right. I ended up winning just it. Just to fatten the ballot? Yeah, yeah, just fatten the ballot. <laughs> right. And surprisingly. You got up. Uh, shocking everybody, including me, I got up and I said, yeah, I'll do it on one condition because I knew NXS were, were playing, but I can front them for one song. So, so I what did, does fronting did, mean? 
Uh, singing. You, you, lead singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there evidence With of this? Pit, yes, I've got video of it. Right. I do look like a yellow wiggle because yellow <laughs> sort of mustard, mustard skivvies were fashionable back then. So was it never tear us apart or uh, not? No, 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 it was don't change. Right. And um, So full they, band, crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the whole thing. Uh, they said I was good, but they never asked me to come back and do it again, which was, and looking at the video, it does make me cringe, but I could have died and gone to heaven, yeah, a very right. happy man. Because, because at Forest High, at yep. that stage, um, uh, they were, uh, Michael Hutchins went to Davidson High, which is the, the next high school over. And so growing up <laughs> and just after high school, um, it was a golden era of Australian rock. We used to go and watch In Excess. They would be resident at the Manly Vale Hotel uh, on that. the Northern Beaches um, one weekend. Midnight Oil were at the Antler at Narrabeen another weekend. Um, sports um, were um, <laughs> at, at the Manly Flicks. It was just a fantastic era. And you at that stage, up. because you're a short back and sides man and has always have yep. been, what, what, what were you, like, did you have the luxurious long locks or were you uh, yes, a yes, yes, I did. Did you? Yes, I did. I did at the time. Right. But, um, uh, yes, so soon started to lose my hair after <laughs> after that. But, uh, yeah, Dragon were big then. Dragon. Uh, I saw I was in the mosh pit of Dragon at the Bondi Lifesaver and Mark Hunter threw a jug of water over the crowd. That kept, uh, <laughs> uh, those were the days. That were, so, it was so, just fantastic. So you're poking along and are you thinking maybe some accounting or? Oh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm doing, doing an accounting sort of degree part-time uh, along, along the way and then one of the other students a mature age student was the wife of the business editor of the Australian newspaper. And I got to know him and he said, hey, do you want to start on the Australian as a, a cadet? And I'd been an auditor. Um, these are the people that go in and tick off the accounts with a green pen and check everything That's and your exciting. expenses. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, for about a year and a half and decided that maybe that wasn't for me. <laughs> so so you, go, then, you went into the Australian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As so a what's cadet a cadetship? What, what year are we talking? Uh, we're talking uh, early 80s. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. What, what's, 80, the, what's the setup? And you're, you're just as a junior, a junior um, reporter uh, for the business section. And it was a was a time when, you know, share markets were booming yeah. and things like that. So, and the coal industry was booming. My father was in coal, and so I got a lot of stories. And then went and worked for uh, Bob Gottliebson at BRW. Lived in Melbourne for ten years. Um, and how do, how do you develop? So you you start in the financial pages, yep, right? At, at yep. the Australian, how do you develop? So a, a typical. Sports journo comes in and they love footy or they love yep. cricket, so they've got a fair handle on it. Like, how do you learn about the ins and outs of business to then to go and write about it, which then business people are reading? So you, yep. you've got to know your chops. Yeah, you do have to. I I was lucky because um, Dad was a pretty good business person. Like he got transferred from Adelaide to Sydney in a really junior job and ended up being managing director of that. 
come and it was a top 100 listed company on the Australian share market. Okay. So he, I'm really lucky. He was always has been my hero. He's been, uh, was my best friend, mentor, here, a great role model for me, um, which I'm really grateful for. He and my grandfather, my mum's dad, uh, would just, I idolised them. Mm. And um, uh, they taught me so much about respect for other people, respect for uh, for anyone, no matter what they do. Um, and they were great people, people. Tommy and I were joking about financial advice, but you know, you've got kids, you've got grandkids yep. now, um, and I've got a 13 and 11 year old, um, and, and you try and, you know, they learn stuff at school, but you try and financially educate them as best you can, because it's, yep. it's an important part of life. Yep. For your kids, your grandkids, like what, if you, if you could give one piece of advice as far as finances go that you're trying to pass on to, to your children, yep. like what, what type of stuff do you go with? Uh, two, two things. Yep. Um, pocket money. Yep. Uh, pocket money that's tied to doing, um, non-family jobs. Like I reckon you don't get pocket money for being part of the family. So you make your bed, you do all that sort of stuff. Uh, you unpack the dishwasher. Um, but you earn pocket money for doing non-family chores around the house, whether it's putting the garbage out or bring the washing in or folding mm. the washing. And then we always had um, a uh, sat our kids down and said, you're going to get X amount of dollars for your pocket money. Um, 50% you've got to save, but you've got to tell us what you're saving for. So you have a goal. So there's a goal. 40%. You can spend on whatever you like and 10% you've got to donate to a charity that you choose. And the donating for the charity was the most powerful thing we passed on to our kids at that stage because, and we'd match them with the donation. So it could be a World Vision child. It could be, um, uh, it could be the local animal shelter. It could be a whole lot lot of things. So, um, and each of our kids had a different charity they supported. And they've it built a, a community responsibility into them. And then our other thing we imposed was when you turn 14 years and nine months, you had to go and work for McDonald's. Otherwise, your pocket money would be cut off. Uh, because oh. McDonald's is such good training. And just process everything you learn at McDonald's, you can put into operation no matter what you do. Um, Tommy, we're yep. talking about on the way. He worked at McDonald's and got his barista skills. Well, um, I, yes. rem- I remember picking one of the girls up after a late shift and they were late. It was quarter to 11. They got off at, at 10.30. I said, no, why are you so late? And they said, oh, I was being tested on the six steps of service. And, oh, what was that? And greet the customer with a smile, look them in the eye, da-da-da, the six down. And I thought, you put that into operation, no matter what job you're in, uh, for the rest of your life. And it was a great training ground. Had one daughter who really bucked against it. The other three were fine. And in the end, that McDonald's reference got her her first job out of school. So she's got to implement it with her own kids at the moment, a year or two off. I love it. So that was the two things, pocket money, but making sure part of it was donated to a charity, gives you a sense of community. Uh, and working at McDonald's, 
to understand the process of work, understand uh, dealing with the public um, is really important. So you, you, you're writing and you come down here. When, when does TV first cross? Like, to, where, where, What's your first invitation and how did you go uh, your first time? See, my, my life is a whole series of mistakes. Um, my, <laughs> my, 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 Hopefully this is not one no, of them. No, 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 no. My, my dad had a great saying. Brought, and I brought all my kids up. Have enough confidence in yourself to give anything a go. Yep. But if it doesn't work out, have enough confidence in yourself to go and do something else. Hmm. In other words, don't be scared of an opportunity. Give it a go. If it doesn't work out, don't be held hostage by it. Um, go and do something else. So don't get stuck in a rut or with a mistake. And that's how I've done it. So I started, came up with an idea for an investment magazine, the first, you know how there are money sections in the newspapers yes. and all that personal finance? There was none of that back then. And I saw this magazine in America, mum and dad had moved there for work, uh, called Money Magazine. I thought, oh, that's a, I wonder if we can do it here in Australia. Convinced Bob Gottliebson and Fairfax to do it. So I started Personal Investment Magazine. It was the first of from any scratch. of- From scratch. Uh, launched it here, launched in the in New Zealand and in the UK for Fairfax, um, and uh, radio stations would say, "Hey, come on and talk about what you're writing about." Yeah, because it wasn't like a business. I based it the format of the magazine on Cosmopolitan and Clio rather than business magazines. It wasn't super dry. No, 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 no suit and ties, no photo ever of anyone in a suit and tie. They had little, like a real human being. We would have sealed sections. I figured if, you know, Cleo can seal the moves <laughs> in the Kama Sutra, uh, uh, we we can do the 101 top tax tips. Uh, <laughs> that was your sealed <laughs> section. So we'd, have, <laughs> we'd have zip outs, we'd have all sorts of things, just because people have a fear of money. Yeah. They have a fear of making a mistake. They have a fear of being ripped off. They have a fear of losing money. Greed doesn't drive, motivate people with money. It's a fear. And I wanted to break down the fear. So the magazine had to look like a normal magazine um, and be presented that way. And so... Uh, it went some, well? It went really, it was a huge success. We had money investment shows around the country. At one stage, we had 60 a year. Oh. Um, it was a phenomenon. And radio stations would say, oh, come and, can you come and talk about this story? And let's take some calls. And I'd come on once a month. And we'd get lots of calls. We'd come on every week. Um, then I started the first nightly, daily investment program on um, the Macquarie Radio Network, um, now now the Nine Radio Network. So you were fronting that? Yeah, yeah, called Money Talks. Oh, um, of course. Yeah, six till seven every evening and did that for about 10 years. A lot of people, I guess, don't have access to a financial advisor or, no. or, or a planner. So someone on the radio giving them good – and it's not something we discuss money, is it? You don't no. talk about how much you get paid no. or where you're investing. It's a bit, it's a bit exactly. secret squirrel, isn't it? Yeah. It's just strange. Exactly. It's sort of a, a bit taboo to yeah. talk about. And so it was breaking down those barriers. And, and then the uh, general manager of uh, 2GB at the time, which took the Money Talks program, uh, went and worked at Seven as their news director and said – can you come and do 
bits for us. Uh, on the news, so I was the finance nerd. On the news. On on the news at seven right. and it developed from there. And so when you first got on camera, obviously, well, well, we'll talk later on about why you think you were successful. To, to us as the audience, you were Mr. Relatable, you are relaxed, just like you were talking in the pub, um, which is the way TV should be done. Were you yep. like that at the start or not? Um, like were you naturally- I, I, try, I tried to be. Um because I always felt, even as a print journo, I felt a bit of an imposter um, hmm. writing about business to chief executives. Because I was thinking, they know way more than a journo yeah. does, yes. for goodness sake. So I said, okay, I'll carve a niche talking to the that chief executive's partner and brother and sister and giving them the information that they can make decisions. Mm. Um, and that was always how I wanted to be and do it with a sense of humour and approachable because everyone in the finance world uses these big words unnecessarily to make them feel good. Nothing annoys me more than when the Reserve Bank comes out with an interest rate announcement and you hear on the radio or TV, Reserve Bank has put up interest rates by 25 basis points. <laughs> And you go, that is such a load of crap. It's a quarter percent. Yep. Who knows what a basis point is? Who cares what a basis point is? You just say it's up a quarter percent, but everybody knows. So that's what I tried to do with the whole thing. Tried and also tried to talk about taboo subjects, um, you know, which everyday money issues, financial infidelity, when a partner is taking money out of the relationship without you knowing. Um, it is sexually transmitted debt. Uh, what happens when you have a joint credit card and your partner skips, mm. you're responsible for everything they have. Um, how to ask your parents about their will without appearing to be a gold digger. Um, all of those issues that affect everybody but no one ever talked about. It's an interesting thing about the language around, isn't it? My, my wife, she, uh, she's a lot better equipped dealing with money than I am. She's really, really good at it and has educated herself. She loves- uh, Mine is too. Right. Well, it's, it's a good start <laughs> for a marriage, I think. Yep. She loves the bloke on Channel 9 at the moment, um, Chris Kohler. Yep. But his father used to do it as yeah, well. Alan. Alan. And, yeah, he's an old mate of mine. Well, so he used to pop up on the ABC when my folks would be watching it. And there'd be this graph with four lines on it. would be talking GDP and the price of oil yep. here and be yellow <laughs> and red and then offset by what's happening in Ukraine. It'd be on in 20 seconds and I'd be still trying to figure out what the base Y and the V and it'd be gone. <laughs> so it, it is a technical operation talking money. It is, but it can be simplified so easily. And, and Lib has always managed our household budget. This is she, your wife? Yep. She does it. She's a whiz at it, uh, refuses to renew an insurance premium without checking she's got the best deal. And Her and Erica would get on very uh, well. Yep, and, and I do the investing. She runs uh, the household budget, and it is, it's amazing how easy it is to do it and how big a difference it can make. Back to Koshi shortly. Next up on the Artist Series, Think Aussie Rock. Think beer-stained carpets, sweaty crowds, loud, noisy punters. Think grab ya 
and don't let you go type of musical energy. Think Tex Perkins. The best gigs are when you actually open up and interact with the audience. I mean, I've done, I did a lot of gigs for a while where I just sort of, I'm looking at the back wall, you know, and just so I'm giving a great performance, but I'm not sort of, I'm not looking at anybody. But then I, I learnt to, as I said, uh, as I got went along, I relaxed more, and quite often I would interact with the audience, vocally, the, physically. The, well, just sort of like somebody would yell out something, and that's a perfect opportunity to, to you know, to say a smart ass yeah. thing back. Yeah, everyone, you know, laugh and yeah, you know, and that sort of thing. I think a combination of really good uh, music, passionate performance, but also showing humanity and connecting you know, with people in between the songs, yeah, that's, uh, that's become you know, more and more important and I've gotten better and better at it, I think. That is Tex Perkins next up on the show. And for those of you that like rock and roll and Aussie stories, this is an episode for you. This is your go. Let's get back to Koshi. So you're rolling along, you're doing a bit of stuff for yep. Seven News. What's the next progression from there for you? Um, in all of this time, I've had my own businesses as well. Yep. Uh, so it's it's sort of uh, me, the the TV side has sort of been a side hustle mm. that's been, been going along. And um, so I suppose I, I would fill in a bit on 11am. Remember the old 11am yeah. show yep. with Ann Sanders when she was on her holidays. And so this is the first time you're moving <clears throat> away from finance? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In, a, in to general hosting. Yeah. And, um, and and what what was that like? Because all of a, you're an expert and we're all <coughs> confident talking about what we are as an expert. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, you, you'll have, you know, some bloke pop up with a number one hit for the, yep. for the week or... But I'm a human being yes. as well. You know, I'm not not just a fine. My whole life doesn't revolve around finance. I love music. Um, I love going to movies. I love sport, the whole thing. And I'm just curious about people. I, No matter who you are, everyone has a story mm. to tell. And that's what I've loved about doing the TV stuff I've done. If you're curious about people, it is the world's best job because being in the media, you're a necessary evil. People feel as though they've got to talk to you. So you get access to the most incredible human beings from superstars to average Australians doing extraordinary things. But everyone's got a great story. And that's, I've just been inquisitive. I probably picked that up from my father as well, that people fascinate me. People, people do say, don't they? they? Say, well, you get on camera, and how do you think about what you're going to say? And I, I always just no. say to people, well, I don't sit in the pub talking to you, thinking, yep. what's the next question I'm going to ask you? Yep. I'm just listening to what you're saying, and, and you just talk. And and if I can't figure you out, I have this theory that it doesn't matter whether you're eight, eighteen, or eighty, you're a product of your family upbringing as okay. a kid. So if I can't work somebody out, I'll go, oh, have brothers and sisters. Well, you're close to your mum and dad. What do they do? And then it all oh, starts to fall into place. I you know, just recently got back from spending uh, Libby and I five days with Richard Branson, one of the world's great entrepreneurs, someone I've admired forever, the most incredible experience I've ever been in. 
um, and literally hanging out with him for five days. And he is a product of his mother, Eve. He's 73, but all his characteristics are his mother. She was in an era where females were meant to be entrepreneurs. She was the entrepreneur of the family. She was, mm. he tells a great story because uh, he's the most likable, approachable guy that when he and his sister were growing up, if they were disrespectful to somebody, his parents wouldn't send them to the naughty corner. They'd send them to stand in front of a mirror for 20 months, have a good look at themselves, try and figure out why they think they're better than somebody else. And that stays with him until today. Just an example of, you know, you moulded very early on, which does make you feel guilty if you've had wonderful role models and how hard it is for young kids today mm. who don't have mm. – Libby and I have a, a youth centre in Macquarie Fields in Sydney and uh, you see some of the kids there that, that have no role models and you think, number one, how lucky are we and, and our kids, but how much other kids desperately need those role models. Your man, Richard Branson, yep. sidetrack you for a moment. I was doing a story for 10, I reckon, might have been 9am with David and Kim, which would have been on after you, thankfully, because otherwise there would have been no one watching because <laughs> you just used to suck up every viewer there was. And Richard Branson, Virgin must have been launching a yep. new flight. It was myself and a cameraman, Andy Broderick, and we, we were in the Virgin Lounge waiting and then we were going to interview him there and sit on the flight and chat with him on the flight. And uh, for, I can't quite remember. There was pumpkin soup koshi, um, and my man Broads was helping himself to it. And he, he unfortunately dropped the ladle in the big pot of soup. So he thought he'd get some a big wad of serviettes to grab the ladle out. And then as he was doing this, he the serviettes fall into the soup as well. So he comes over and he says, whatever you do, <laughs> don't have the soup, mate, because it's full of a ladle and all these serviettes. So anyway, Richard Branson walks in. And, you know, he's surrounded by people doing what he needs. And they're like, do you need anything? He said, oh, yeah, I think I'll have some of that soup. Yeah. And man, <laughs> and Brock's are thinking, oh, this is not good. Anyway, he hoes in and he's chatting. Away. He said, the soup's good. And we're like, yep, yep, yeah. soup's good. But yeah, I found him also <laughs> a, a very engaging man. So Sunrise, uh, when does it, um, when do they say, like, is there an audition? Was it even no, Sunrise at the no. time? Uh, Sunrise was sort of a news reading format at the time. And I was a finance nerd. And the... No one watched us. It was 5% of the Today Show's audience. So 5%? 5%. Um, no one watched us. Who was the host at the time? Uh, it was Chris Reason okay. and Mel Doyle. Right. Uh, it was only relatively new and Chris got crook. And basically they asked me to fill in for three months. And you know, I still had my family businesses. I'd, um, um, okay. And, and no disrespect to... To newsreaders. Of course not. Um, I find that a bit boring. Um, and I said, look, if I can be myself, I'll give it a go. And they said, okay, well, within reason. Um, so I did it for three months and then they saw a little blip up in ratings. Uh, the Sunrise office was in a demountable um, in the car park of Channel 7. That's how we weren't even in the main building. <laughs> and and Chris's medical advice was that he shouldn't come back to the, the rigours of uh, breakfast TV. And I said, would you do it full time? I said, well, I don't really want to aspire to, to do this. 
I said, but if I can be myself properly, yep. um, I'll give it a go. And um, it, a new executive producer started and he said, let's just redo the format, make it like uh, FM radio on on TV. And so and I, the money wasn't great. And I said, okay, I'll do it if I can get a bonus when we get to 50% of today's show's audience. And you're coming in at what? Uh, 5%. So you had some confidence in your yeah. game. Well, and then I said, another bonus when we beat them. And Seven said, no. I went, what do you mean, no? They said, it will never happen and we don't want this to be disheartening to you going forward. <laughs> I said, look, I, I was in my mid- It's not exactly early, a speech from the 40. generals to oh, fill the troops with joy. I know, I know. So I, I said, look, I'm big enough and ugly enough to take that risk. And so they agreed to it. We got to 50% within nine months. We beat them after 13 months and for the next 20 consecutive years, we won nationally. And um, uh, we changed, looking back, it was an amazing period because it used to start out Sunrise with Melissa Doyle and David Kosh. Yeah. And we changed it to Mel and Koshy. Right across Australia, it's a game time to wake up with friends. This is Sunrise on 7. Now from Brecky Central, Koshy and Mel. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunrise. Well, that, the newsroom, news director went berserk <laughs> saying, you're <laughs> undermining the news credibility and da-da-da. And then I started having an opinion on things. Well, at one stage, the then managing director, uh, Maureen, um, took a recommendation to the Channel 7 board that they had to sack me because I was undermining the network by having an opinion on particular topics. Thankfully, two people on the board said, no, that's okay, we're happy with it, and that was Kerry and Ryan Stokes. So oh, two good so ones to two, have on board, yeah. Two people that you And that's how Sunrise started, basically by mistake um, and people not giving a toss about us internally within Seven. We could make mistakes, we could try things, they could, they could bomb, no one cared, no one knew, and we were just able to hone it. And it was about, it was, because I always found then television pretty arrogant. They would, they had this view, we will tell you the viewer what you think you need to know. Mm -hmm. We turned that around and said, viewer, we're your show. You tell us what you want. We were the most powerful thing of that. We used to have a whiteboard on set. And this is before Facebook. This is before social media. Emails were the big thing. (laughs) Um, Email in if you've got a query or a question on anything. But many people don't think it's wrong. What do you reckon? Should it be a crime? Have you pulled music off the internet? Log on to our website, 7.com.au forward slash sunrise. Send us an email. And we will put it on the whiteboard. Uh, Mrs Jones from far north Queensland wants to have this question answered by the Prime Minister. We keep it on there until we had the Prime Minister on and we would put that question to them. It would stay there. And... It was, it said to our viewers, wow, they're taking us seriously. Uh, the, we want Kylie Minogue on to perform. So we'd keep it on the whiteboard, on the set that everyone knew about, and we would deliver on it. And then we'd rub it off. And um, it was, and then I would do a joke of the day. And this is pre-social media. 
uh, went really well for a couple of years, then social media started, and that 30 seconds gave me more grief out of the three and a half hours of anything, and we had to stop it because I said, this isn't worth it. Someone is always offended. <laughs> joke of the day from Colin Riddell. It's the world's shortest fairy tale. Uh, once upon a time, a guy asked a girl, will you marry me? The girl said no. And the guy lived happily ever after. He rode motorcycles, went fishing and hunting, played golf a lot, drank beer and scotch, had money in the bank and left the toilet seat up and farted whenever he wanted the end. <laughs> That's a classic. I love it. That's a very happy story. It is. Talking about um, questions, whichever is my child is most into the guest, ask right. a question of the guest. It's been, yep. been going for seven years on this. So you will hear from my 11-year-old who started right. when he was four. Um, this is, his name is Mac, but he rolls Koshy as the big penguin. He always has been. It's his own nickname. Um, this is what he's got for you. Hey, Koshy, big penguin here. First off, congratulations on your amazing TV career and especially Sunrise. Judging by the name, I feel like you had to get up quite early. Which brings me on to my next point. I'm going to a new school this year and I have to get up way earlier than I used to because I have a 45 minute bus ride. Anyway... On sunrise, what time did you have to get up in the morning? You must have answered okay. this a thousand times, but yep. it's, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. fascinating No, one. no. Um, I would, and of course, uh, doing shift work, and anyone who does, in the media who does breakfast shifts, knows that every single minute yeah. is so important and you become routine, absolutely. So I would get up at exactly... Uh, 3.27, and (coughs) we would, uh, for the last 10 years of Sunrise, Lib and I would rent an apartment during the week, um, which was close to the studio. So it made it easier for me to juggle Port Adelaide, uh, the family business, and doing Sunrise. I'm a great believer that you've got to invest in yourself. Uh, otherwise you're just going to burn out completely. So I get up then, I'd be at sunrise uh, at four and uh, the, the only really good, and on air at 5.30, great thing about me uh, compared with the girls, the girls are in makeup for yes. an hour, I'm there for four and a half minutes. I have no hair, no nothing, <laughs> I just give it a polish and then I'm out. So that that was uh, the only good take. That is the end of David Kosh, part A. Plenty of joy coming your way on part B.